0: Uh, okay, so uh, with the short road and uh, immense pleasure, uh, this is the Dead IT Show, this is Vedran, I'm Jasmin and today we are going to talk about updates. Uh, the thing that probably most of the users hate the most since they tend to pop up uh, in the exact time when you need your computer the most. So, uh, stay with us after the intro to see what do we think about uh, updates, when to do them, if to do them, and what to keep an eye on. Please roll the intro.
1: I'm sensing that you have a bear in your in your belly.
0: Yes, the problem is that uh, I have been under the weather for the last couple of days, as you can probably hear. Uh, somebody is going to be vicious in the comments and say that uh, this should be my regular voice, but frankly, I don't care. Do you think? Yes. So uh, people like. Baritones. So uh, this this uh, lower registers uh, lower registers uh, that are currently uh, running in my uh, throat are something that I'm not used to. But anyways, let's talk about updates.
1: No, let's talk about baritones for a second.
0: Mm, Okay,
1: I like them as well, especially when you're female delivered. Ah, okay.
0: So don't don't pick, don't pick up on me now uh, we are doing the we, we are in business who me <laughs> never we are doing we are doing the business now okay uh, okay so uh, let's talk about updates uh, this was your idea but i have a few bones to pick before we start
1: go ahead i'm going to drink my coffee
0: i'm just going to go with uh, what do you think kind of question and this is going to involve uh, me asking you Do you think that Linux has, uh, I would say, uh, caught up with Windows in the way it does updates (laughs) and the way that it annoys people when the updates uh, need to be done? Because I have seen it all. I have seen the uh, update screen before you can log in. Mm -hmm. I have seen uh, seen the screen on Linux uh, for updates after you log out and uh, try to restart your computer. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I obviously expected only from Windows. I wasn't expecting that I'm going to see the please wait updates are being applied on Linux.
1: You know what I think? I think that's the part of the whole uh, Linux going to rule the desktop future episode, which is okay. not existent as the Linux on desktop.
0: But there is there is a, there is a, another theme that we should be do, uh, doing probably later and this Mm -hmm. is how much stuff about your computer is doing do you actually need to know. People who like Linux Mm -hmm. tend to uh, leave the, basically the console log running. So you can see at any given moment what your computer is running. You can see the boot procedure, you can see the initialization of everything in the the system and so on. The problem with Windows is that they have the same thing happening, but Mm -hmm. they're trying to uh, mask it. I know that Red Hat is uh, showing you a loading screen without showing you the log unless you wanted to.
1: Yeah, with the arrow
0: key. Yes. And is this the thing that we should be doing? Because where do you draw the line uh, for the user not to get bored, but to have some sort of feedback to the user that says, okay, I'm updating something and doing something.
1: Hmm. (laughs) First and foremost. I generally agree with what you said with a couple of additions. Um, the way in which the policy towards IT updates uh, on desktop and server computers changed over the course of the past 10 years is, I think, annoying at best. We used to have, first and foremost, uh, we used to have uh, in the good old days, I think, software that was quite a bit more tested, quite a bit more reliable And mature. Much more mature. And actually, uh, there is an episode with one of the Microsoft programmers uh, that worked on Windows for many, many years with one other Microsoft guy on YouTube, which I checked a couple of snippets from. And he basically um, says what amounts to the same thing, especially when they were switching from uh, old code to 64-bit code and everything else. But the way in which the updates used to work was completely non-compulsory. You could have done it, you could have switched off from that, you could have done a lot of things to kind of avoid doing them if you wanted to, but either way there weren't all that many updates. Uh, Actually I would argue that some of the older operating systems on Microsoft part and on Linux as well, uh, if you wanted to do an update you installed a new version or something like that, you know, Windows 98, 98, second edition, 95, 95 OSR 2, stuff like that. Um, but then it became, for some, for some reason, it became a race to become more and more annoying. Maybe it's because of the verbosity, maybe the operating system and the vendors of the operating systems want to let us know that they're actually working on something, doing something, improving things or whatnot, I don't know, it's difficult to you know, looking into that crystal ball. But as a side effect of that, they only became, over the years, more and more annoying with the update policies. Some of these things we kind of hinted at in some of the previous episodes as well. But for me, uh, and I will share a couple of very annoying experiences that happened to me over the course of the past 7 or 8 years, uh, ranging from Windows 7 to 8.1 to 10 to 11 on various uh, business machines in, in the company that we work for. And generally speaking, the latest uh, round of settings or normal IT procedures, which basically involve that your OS updates almost as frequently as it wants to, is one of the most uh, like annoying and I don't know how to say it, hostile things that uh, the OS uh, vendors or OS manufacturers have done for uh, the end customers. And the fact that they had to uh, correct the way in which that works to add uh, update delays and whatnot, for example, that we have in Windows, just further proves the point that this is not necessary and it's not the correct way to do things. In terms of Linux, generally speaking, I think that a lot of stuff that's been happening on the Linux market from the perspective of updates is kind of starting to mimic what's happening on the Microsoft market as well. And for me it's absolutely unacceptable that, for example, in our classes we, we do a class, tomorrow morning you, uh, you log in back to the virtual machine which you intentionally left powered on because we have our part of the infrastructure and we can do that. Uh, and you come back in, you log in and you see that something that you left on the screen is not there, no longer there because the machine was rebooted. For me, that was a new and very, very disconcerting experience with CentOS 9. I don't remember if it happened. It is 8. CentOS
0: 9 and Stream and uh, the updates that are uh, that are basically disturbing your uh, whole uh, educational process yeah. because we must talk about the updates in that context. Uh, I'm going to go through this one because this was the most recent one and the most annoying one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason is we are trying to uh, get our students to use uh, CentOS. The reason is simple. We are preparing them from the Red Hat, uh, certification. Red Hat the exams, certification mm-hmm. and exams, and we want to de- to them to experience the system that is as close to Production level Red Hat Enterprise Linux as possible, mm-hmm. but I think that CentOS 9 stream is probably the furthest apart from uh, test uh, from the production set possible, because okay. what uh, because when we try to install a particular in, in this particular case it was Ovid. but when oh, we we're man. trying to inst- install it, I managed to install it on Tuesday. On Wednesday morning, it didn't work. The installation isn't didn't work because of the update. Mm-hmm. The keys were wrong, the, subscri- the um, uh, repositories were wrong. So, hashes, yeah. so the keys were wrong, basically the hashes of the files were wrong. and This was one when, when, of the moments when you uh, start to realize that your process is directly influenced by somebody else's process mm-hmm. in a way that completely stops you from doing your work. Mm-hmm. And This is one of those things that the update should never do. They should be an update, but update meaning it is going to work. That it shouldn't be a moment where the system is not working because some something is updating on the server that is updating you. So we have come to a meta update uh, a moment.
1: And mesh updates. Yes, but let's let's split the update. Hmm. The- Actually, uh, to, to to further your point, uh, I don't know if you forgot, but we didn't do this course last year because it was a elective course and it wasn't elected by the students. But we did do it two years ago. Yes. Same thing happened on the exam.
0: Same thing happened on the exam, but uh, now same thing is happening
1: every week, and this is a problem. And it's unacceptable for this to happen on the exam. Yes,
0: yeah. yes. And the other the other problem is that it is happening on the weekly basis, and the only thing we can do is to freeze the subscri- the um, uh, repositories and to basically freeze the versions of the packages and to say to the to the students that they are not allowed to use the other packages from other other uh, repositories, and this is going to break things, but. Let's let's now leave this uh, aside and let's just try to talk about the updates in general. Mm-hmm. Let's try to divide them into three different groups. Okay. So, what I consider an update would be a security update. Okay. So when we were doing the Windows Seven, Windows XP, most of the updates were strictly uh, security updates or the changes that. Uh, fixed some sort of a crash or some sort of a problem inside the application. Okay. Then uh, along came uh, feature updates.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Feature updates are there not to fix something that is wrong, but to give you another feature or to remove the feature that is already there. Usually when Microsoft uh, is doing something to do, do both in, in a particular application. And there is third, uh, third version of the, applica- uh, of the updates that is there to do a major revision of the application or the operating system. And this is what could be considered a major upgrade. So I would think that what we used to have were major upgrades and then uh, security updates and uh, bug updates basically. So uh, patches for the bugs. And now the feature updates uh, became a thing Mm -hmm. and they are creating the most of the problem because uh, you are going to apply the security updates. They're not going to stand in the way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a reboot is necessary, but that's it. But
1: sec- oh, I'm very happy about that.
0: Yeah, yes, but the reboots can be scheduled and the security updates can be scheduled. But I don't see any reason why my system should be rebooted because somebody decided to change the start menu on the start menu button. Mm-hmm or uh, Microsoft decided to uh, create the 17th uh, installation of the search uh, engine that is not going to work, but they're going to try anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm my biggest gripe is with uh, feature updates because I don't want them. I want my system to be at the particular version. And then if I want to update to another version that has a given set of features, I want to be able to choose this update. Mm-hmm. And with Windows 10, Having a rolling, belly basically rolling update every uh, half a year, uh, with big feature releases, mm-hmm. we are suddenly stuck with the version of the system that is going to uh, re-update itself or rediscover itself with different uh, with different features every mm-hmm. six uh, six months or so. You are going to have another release that is Windows 11, which compares to Windows 10 in I don't know what uh, what way. I know the idea behind the kernel comparison, but the rest of it, I don't really know. And then Windows 12 was, uh, it wasn't announced, but it was, uh, there somebody, were some mis- shushes. S- yeah. somebody said that it is possibly that Windows 12 is already in the works. And so we have updates, major updates, we have feature updates, we have security updates, we have uh, application updates, suddenly everything is updating everything. And I think that the biggest problem is that we have come to a point where people consider applications as something that needs to be changed every day. And this is on Linux, this is normal, Mm -hmm. but you were expecting it. Mm -hmm. On Windows you don't expect this, but it happens.
1: Yeah, but the difference is that in Linux you don't have to reboot anything.
0: And you can elect to update a particular thing. Mm -hmm. You can always uh, stop the updates. You can always... uh, Uh, deny updates for a particular feature or particular application, for example, the kernel, you can exclude the kernel from updating, you can can basically blacklist whatever packages you want to blacklist and they're going to stop applications that depend on them from updating and this is going to be fine. Windows does not allow you to do this. This is the opaqueness that I don't like. This is the main reason why why I I like Linux. Uh, Windows has the opaqueness of not showing you what is happening with, during the boot, not showing you what is happening during the update, not showing you what is happening during the shutdown. And these are the things that they want to know about. And also I cannot choose what is going to happen.
1: Hmm. Okay. That that, <laughs> that to me sounds like uh, you summed it up rather well. I have nothing to add. I mean, I will add some examples of this, but I do have a solution for your problem. Okay. You're going to like it a lot. Yes. It's called Windows
0: 8.1. Okay.
1: That's it. No explanation necessary.
0: So, stuck in the middle-earth uh, with the Orcs? You just,
1: no, stuck in the moment that you just can get out of, yes. Yes, with
0: Orcs. Um, no, with YouTube.
1: No, but the problem is the problem is that… Uh, That's exactly why, why I still have uh, Windows 8.1 on one of my laptops.
0: I say that I'm pretty happy with Windows 11. Uh, because you're lame, n- No, it's not because I'm lame because I just stopped caring.
1: This is the same reason. This the- is the guy who s- installs Windows eleven after making Windows 10 work and then Windows eleven uh, makes a mess of everything. the camera, the sound, the keyboard, the Bluetooth, the wireless, the network, and he still persists on beta testing things.
0: Yes, but uh, somebody Sorry, h- alpha testing things. Somebody to has to test of- it because Microsoft is not uh, going to do it
1: exactly which is uh, one of my points and I made it a couple of minutes ago. I do really resent uh, Microsoft for that uh, because there were a lot of rumors uh, years ago when they started working on uh, Windows 2012 I think or something like that on server side and Windows 10 on the client side. There were a lot of uh, rumors about them, uh, you know, dismissing m- most or all of their QAQ quality assurance and uh, beta testers and testers people. Um, and actually, uh, when I looked at this episode, uh, I'm going to post a link in the chat box uh, to to a list of these additional videos that I checked yesterday. I mean, this is a guy who led Windows development. He's not just some left-hand guy from the street he basically says what amounts to the same thing. They decided that they're not going to make software that is as thoroughly tested as it used to be. And that for me, uh, just uh, he said he is worse than me. He says, for, for me, uh, uh, any kind of uh, software that we release which is not 100% ready and without bugs, I don't want to release it. That's the, uh, let's say, Uh, exceptionally high bar to meet. I would have no problem if you had some smaller issues with, I don't know, Solitaire to to be kind of stupid, but uh, I agree with his general approach.
0: But I do agree with his general approach, but on the other hand, the idea uh, that you are proposing here is simply unobtainable with today's operating systems. Why? Uh, if they want to push feature uh, feature uh, updates, so mm-hmm. they want to push basically small incremental uh, feature changes in particular application. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no way for them to test uh, all the combinations of all the applications and all the harder uh, environments. I, I so know that I'm what, going
1: to sound like a broken record, but that's not your or my problem.
0: Y- yes, but uh, this is not feasible in the way that they are doing business. And this is one of those things that... Uh, 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 He's he's basically saying that Microsoft shouldn't be doing uh, Windows this way. This means Microsoft shouldn't be doing business this way. Correct. Because right now, do you know which version of Office you're running on your PC?
1: Yeah, Microsoft 365 version of Office. Okay,
0: which version is this?
1: I don't know, 2019 plus something.
0: It's 221 plus something. Yeah, whatever. It's a different version every day. Basically, Mm -hmm. it gets changed every day. Mm -hmm. It gets updated with the updates. So for for instance, you have some features that other people don't have because you're using Office
1: 365.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there wasn't any announcement of new features coming in. Mm-hmm. You just see the new feature on the menu, and you can you, you can choose it. This is fine, as long as I have some sort of control over it, because I want to be able to use a version that is uh, that is running. Mm-hmm. You know that. Feeling when you have an application and suddenly st- uh, starts uh, crashing, and then you Excel perform is a-
1: doing a lot of weird things for me lately. Actually. And then
0: you hmm. then you perform an update and suddenly the application is working mm-hmm. again. Like Outlook.
1: Yes, this is one of update. those
0: things that I don't want to see. I want to be able to say hmm. when the application has been updated, and then to see if this crashes it. I want to be able to roll the update back, mm-hmm. not just wait for something to happen.
1: Easily doable on
0: Linux, by the way. Yes, and uh, I would not wait for something to happen, and then, in a indeterminate uh, moment in the uh, in the future, mm-hmm. to have an uh, application that is going to work when somebody decided to fix something. So this is completely out of my control. It's not that I'm a control freak, but if an application is something that I use every day, I don't want to dis- depend on other people uh, to fix it before I can use it again.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so just uh, to, to kind of explain, I'm talking about Dave's Garage YouTube channel. And in the past couple of de- uh, couple of days, he released one, two, three, four, I think five, it's going to be more videos with Dave Cutler, who used to basically lead Windows server slash client development. And b- people should really listen to this because it's very interesting to to uh, kind of like learn the thought process of, of, of an old school guy Working from the old school perspective of nothing is nothing gets released until it's really ready, which is yes, I know significant business change for anybody today. But I still think that no matter what, it is the only business model that should be applied to but oper- the operating model,
0: systems. That business model can can actually succeed. Uh, that business model needs just a little tweak, and this tweak is let's. Uh, uh, take Windows apart and let's make uh, Windows modules, the modules that we can actually uh, update independently. Yeah. And then if we do that, uh, we're going to completely avoid the necess- necessity of updating, for example, the kernel, because you have a bug in your uh, latest version of Edge. So uh, the process that people asked Microsoft to do uh, decades ago, in the antitrust case and so on, Mm -hmm. uh, should be finished. It should be uh, mandatory for a company, if the company doesn't want to do it themselves, to decouple the operating system from the applications. Oh, I agree. And then you would just say, okay, I want updates for Outlook, and Office and Kernel. I don't want updates for Notepad, uh, Calculator and uh, Edge.
1: While we're on the topic of that, do you see how history is repeating itself? Yes. So 20 years ago, we had the Internet Explorer trust case. Nowadays, nobody's talking about the fact that Edge is mandatory and you cannot really use Internet Explorer anymore and whatnot.
0: Or that funny funny, uh, setting in Outlook that says, uh, how do you want to open your web pages from the emails? Mm-hmm. Do you want to use the edge or the default browser? Yeah. So basically suddenly you have the default browser for Outlook that is not the default browser for the Windows uh, because Microsoft doesn't like you setting your own default browser.
1: Yeah. And uh, actually I also, uh, while, while we're on the topic of uh, feature updates or downgrades, I think I saw some announcement that Microsoft is going to remove WordPad
0: I can see this happening because nobody's using it. Who says nobody's using it? Microsoft is. Okay. So and not you and And yesterday, me. Okay. And yesterday I, had the, I had the exercise when I was trying to do something and uh, a student of ours uh, wasn't managing to start Word on the local computer. Mm-hmm. And I told him just use WordPad. Mm-hmm. And he said, what's this? And we were explaining to him what WordPad was. So I think that Microsoft is using the data uh, from the, uh, different telemetry thing is, thing is telemetry and, uh, mm-hmm. they are trying to, uh, and they accomplished, uh, the idea of removing features that people are not using, not, they're not wanting them, but they're not using them. Okay. To, 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 be, to be completely honest. When was the last time you used WordPad?
1: Today. I okay. use it every single day.
0: Because I either use notepad or I use an installed notepad plus plus or I use some office application. I never use WordPad. Yeah, I use
1: it a lot. There are a couple of reasons why. Because uh, things that I can do in WordPad are much more advanced than what what I can do in Notepad. Notepad yes. is basically your, uh, let's say, less than uh, less than text version of a text editor. That's what it is. Yes.
0: Okay. So. Uh, Decoupling the applications from the operating system would be a nice thing to do.
1: Yeah, going back to the, the, the way in which it used to be.
0: But what we are seeing right now is that uh, instead of do, uh, this happening to Windows, Linux is ta- starting to do the bundles, do the the bundles yeah. even more. Yeah. And these distributions that contain nine gigabytes of installation files are something that should uh, Linux should be ashamed of, basically.
1: Okay, that's a harsh statement. Why? Because... Uh, against the idea of open source, or something no, it's else? not
0: against the idea of open source. It's just the against the idea of what people are used to getting from Linux. Uh, creating a different distribution for uh, every different usage scenario, mm-hmm. and then creating a bundle of applications that need to be installed on this particular usage scenario without the user choosing it. I think it's. At the same time, it's uh, an okay idea, but I don't think it should be done. Mm -hmm. For example, Kali Linux, Mm -hmm. it's an amazing uh, uh, distribution uh, designed specifically for security and for pen testing and so on. It has an enormous amount of applications installed, but I think that it could have been done in a way that you have a base distribution, then you decide which applications you need because you're installing a lot of tools that you are not going to ever use because you don't know how to use
1: them. But most people, uh, okay, Kali might not be the best example, although I agree with what you're saying um, because I mean, Kali is usually booted from ISO and that's it.
0: Yes, but the uh, the Kali is the example that I, was, uh, I wanted to choose because this is one of the most tightly integrated distributions mm-hmm. that I, uh, I have ever seen and it is one of the most beautiful distributions that I have ever seen in the last version yeah. because uh, n- the beauty is not in the uh, design. The beauty is the in the bundling and the interconnectedness applications. So, for example, if, if I have a particular uh, USB network card or something that I want to use, it is going to be supported in Kali even though it's not supported in other Linux distributions. So, they decided to do a lot of things uh, immensely, um, in an immensely good way. But at the same time, we, had a, we have a problem because uh, this is the... This is the uh, right execution of the wrong idea. Okay. It, it has its own merits. You want to use the ISO, you don't want to download anything, you don't want to be connected to the internet. I know wh- know why. Mm-hmm. But okay, let's now talk about any version of Ubuntu mm-hmm. or Kubuntu or Lubuntu or Zubuntu or, or, or whatever. Or, uh, everything, uh, exclamation uh, mark, Ubuntu. Uh, ast- 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 it's Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those problems. Why not have an, a menu that is going to say, okay, you, distrib- you are to distribution for what? Mm-hmm. Uh, the same menu that Microsoft has started uh, mm-hmm. applying on, on Windows. Okay. So this can, can also be a solution to a problem.
1: Can I have a small rant? Yes. Can I quote Stephen Fry for a second? Can I start a leveret here, as he says in one of his famous, uh, a bit of uh, Fry and Laurie uh, sketches?
0: You should be forbidden from watching uh, Fry and Laurie, but then yes, yes.
1: Why? Best humor ever?
0: Yes, and this is one of the
1: reasons why mm-hmm. yes, yeah, because it's denied by the c- current environment and surroundings I don't care. My beef with what you said, although I understand the context in which you said it, but work with me on this one. You said you don't necessarily care about uh, you said that the beauty is not in the design, okay, but in the functionality basically how it's applied. I would like to extend the discussion and offer my uh, uh, let's say, Resentment and my approval to two types of companies uh, related to you uh, to the UI design, whatever the UI is—is is it Windows or some kind of web application or whatnot? And I mentioned this in a couple of previous episodes, but I never never expanded on it specifically. And I had a big discussion with our students yesterday about this because I was giving them. A uh, two and a half hour demo of how to do basic operations in Azure, Microsoft Azure. And I did it first from the CLI perspective for an hour and 45 minutes or so. And then I switched to GUI. And basically, I explained to them that the way in which the GUI is getting used there is far from being something that's user friendly. Okay. Uh, to add to that, we had a very humoristic discussion uh, in our private, uh, uh, you know, um, WhatsApp group today about the design of our uh, internal website that we use for education with the new look and design because that heavily reminds me of OpenStack Horizon and, and that's not the way in, you, in which you want your web app to look. You know what I'm talking about? Our, I.E. thingy that we.
0: I'm I'm actively trying to not forget. say anything. Okay. Not saying anything. But just I'm just going to go and quickly explain to the listeners. Basically you have an application that is 20 years uh, out of touch with reality and then you put you put the main functionality of it in a frame and then you frame it uh, around around it with the UI that can be considered something from the 2000s so and that's uh, a
1: that's a finished product or what we call a half baked product from the past so so basically
0: you take you take a half a functional product and then you put uh, half of a user interface around it Mm -hmm. without any regards to uh, mobile compatibility, uh, functionality, uh, functionality, uh, usefulness and uh, different things. At the same time, you remove some of the features that are uh, what used to be in certain places where it was logical. Yeah.
1: Okay. So going back to what I was saying, I am with, uh, as, as years are gone, have gone by, we have a very, let's say, uh, I, I, it's not a soft spot. It's more of a professional, uh, you know, we got used to it spot for CLI. For us, CLI is the default thing. So it's good because we have gazillion of hours of working in, in uh, CLI. But unlike you, uh, for example, and this is our major difference. I like using UIs, but only one type of UIs. You know about this which is UIs that have been designed well from the operational perspective, which means they're functional, they're easy to use, not for me, for most of the customers. But the second part of that, and this is, this is where we differ because you like functional design of UI as well, I know that. But I react very strongly to a poorly designed web application or any application from a design perspective, from the look and feel perspective, which is what you don't necessarily react to, which is okay as
0: well. Uh, I, I am to.
1: very, yeah, I know I'm very, very particular about the look and feel of any application or device or whatever, very, very sensitive to that for some reason, and I haven't been like that. So, we've gone in opposite directions.
0: I, I anyway. have an idea what happened to you, okay the uh, bipolar disorder that uh, <laughs> the VMware uh, pushed on you by using two separate applications with uh, for wildly wildly different uh, UIs on wildly different platforms, for the same purpose, but at the same time not having the exact same
1: uh, f- f- features. That was many years ago. So yeah. yes,
0: but I think that this permanently scarred you. No. And then after this, after this, you came. Uh, Microsoft came into view and started changing things under your feet, mm-hmm. and suddenly you don't feel uh, you don't feel uh, safe. You're not in your safe place. You need to
1: hit yourself <laughs> on the head so that I don't have to. Let's not resort to physical violence because that's going. To, that's where it's going to end up. Uh, you're correct in your assumption of, about VR partially. Uh, they haven't scarred me at all. Um, we most of uh, most people using VR-based products have don't been, remember this anymore. Yeah, it's it was years ago, and most of us don't remember. And actually. Uh, and this is a point that I made yesterday as well with my students. The latest three generations of uh, VMware uh, UIs for the uh, virtualization environments are not amongst the best designed UIs. They are the best designs. One like the oldest one is a little bit less of perfect. The, the middle one is more perfect. The latest one is just freaking amazing how it looks. The icons, the colors, the visibility of information, the summary screens. All of the operational things which are logically placed, whatnot. Yeah, now it's it's not about VMware. It's what uh, met, uh, what VMware UI is as a metaphor for me, which is the two things that I explained. Operationally speaking, very easy to use for anybody. It's, I can say, say that because I'm teaching people how to use those. Actually, I have a class this week, and people tell me that as well. But on the other hand the UI is so beautiful to look at because it's very well designed from just a graphical perspective with richness of of colors and all of the icons and for example when you do a snapshot you have a play button for the VM with the snapshot on powered on VM. There are so many visual cues there that you do not see anywhere else in any UIs by any company. Nobody bar VMware does does these things and but that's 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 exactly my point. If you design a UI, make it a good one, at least functionally. Let it be something that's um, usable for an average user.
0: Okay. What do you think about uh, Windows Phone? Windows Phone. Yes. Oh, going back to that. That that uh, particular place in time and space when uh, Windows 8.0 and then 8.1 had the. Uh, same ish interface as the Windows phone was intended to be.
1: For me, again, and I said this in one of the previous episodes, it is the most elegant uh, design that I've seen on mobile phones, bar none. And function wise, I would say that it was hugely functional, although you might argue that there were a couple of things in both iOS and Android OS's that were a little bit more useful, uh, let's say. Useful for the average user without trying to search for some things which were not placed correctly in the submenus and whatnot. And I think but the U- U- UX design of Windows Phone Seven, Five, and Eight.
0: I think it was one of those uh, those uh, places in the technology uh, evolution. Stars aligned. Where no, it's not that the stars aligned, but the uh, user interface design people. Actually, had free uh, free reign on how the application and the entire system is going to look like. So it was a unified effort on trying to do something correctly. It's exactly what obviously VMware does. And then then Microsoft blew it up basically. Uh, <laughs> But what they did is that they did the Microsoft thing, so they did, uh, we have different uh, groups that are doing different things, we are not going to align the interface on the Windows server with the Windows uh, desktop, I'm completely with Oh, they with did, this.
1: and that's the worst. Yeah, yes, worst. and then, then they, they
0: decided they're going to do it, and then people said, okay, you are completely insane now and then they decided they're not going to do it. So they changed the Windows uh, server uh, interface, then they changed the Windows 8 to Windows 8.1, and then the Windows 10 happened and so on and so on and so on. But this is one of those things when uh, things could have gone uh, differently. But let's now finish this tangent and go back to the uh, thing that we are talking about, the updates. Okay. So let's draw a line here. Are you okay with the updates, the security updates? Yes. When they should be updated?
1: As long as they don't reboot the machine as soon as possible.
0: Is it okay for a vendor to say, uh, this is a critical zero day update. It needs to reboot your machine. For Thanks. example, 40,
1: which which is an extreme case. but. It, they
0: had a few of those.
1: Still, I am still of of uh, of the same opinion that no update, a re- a reboot after anything should happen without your approval.
0: I'm I'm fine with this, but should there be an update that is going to say to you, or you are going to define it by, by saying that uh, it shouldn't self uh, self uh, reboot or self update, mm-hmm. but unless you do something it is going to do that the precise same thing in 48 hours of the update to give you some time to actually uh, do something because the zero days for the 40 mm-hmm. were of the highest uh, possible uh, level uh, you could get direct uh, remote control over the 40 um, firewall if the ssl was uh, turned on yeah and know. a lot of customers uh, had that turned on so uh, this is one of those updates that, updates that I want to uh, apply almost without any uh, reminder that I need to wait. Okay, I know it's inconvenient. Mm-hmm. If you have hundreds of people connected to the VPN, but mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, I think that the cost-benefit analysis here mm-hmm. is something that should be that should be taken into consideration. So, are we okay with automatically rebooting on zero-day uh, problems? No. Nope. So then we are not okay with rebooting on any other security problem. By extension. Okay. I think that zero day should be rebooted automatically. You should be able to define a time when you have the least uh, problems with the auto reboot. Mm -hmm. You should be given a prompt that is going to warn you before it gets auto rebooted, and then it should auto reboot. So I should be able to say my 40, If everything after uh, everything, I I, if I don't uh, stop the system, it's going to reboot in four o'clock in the morning. I know that this is a specific case, but because there are people who are who cannot afford to reboot even in the four o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. because they have remote workers, and uh, I had a couple of clients like this, so you there is simply no way to define. Uh, morning or the evening because you have uh, workers that are connected to all the sun. Yeah. Yes, they are following the sun, so basically you don't care about the time because everybody is working at the, any, any
1: particular point in time. For me, automatic reboot of any device or OS is no-no. Uh, schedule it. Yes, yeah, that's okay. As long uh, if I have the capability to say I want the update to happen at 4 in the morning, I will be uh, ticked off, but still okay with that. That's my approach because our experiences in terms of the environments that we work with are different. We only mentioned this in a couple of episodes. My uh, the, the 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 people that I usually have to uh, to work with, in terms of the systems maintenance and whatnot are all exclusively enterprise companies. You know, yes, you are uh, much more let's say uh, experience rich in SMEs than me nowadays, at least.
0: Yes, but the, the thing that uh, is bothering me sometimes when I'm scheduling the, the update is another thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all updates and all reboots are not created equal. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you want to be online when the reboot happens. you uh, always
1: want to be online when the reboot happens. Yes,
0: so uh, having a scheduled reboot... That mm. is going to regularly happen during the night or whatever. Mm. Uh, basically, it's a case of uh, scheduling a catastrophe and then uh, waiting for it to happen.
1: That's why God invented snapshots on virtual machines.
0: Yes, if you have virtual machines. Yeah, but if your nodes if your nodes break down and you have a problem with storage, then you are up the creek. Yeah. So this is one of those things that when I want to be there when it happens, so I'm going to schedule it for. Six o'clock, in the, 6 o'clock in the morning uh, because it tends to be that uh, people who are doing uh, IT are not awake in five o'clock, 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning, unless mm-hmm. they, are, they are completely insane. And then, uh, yes, 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 and no.
1: I, for the past week, I've been sleeping real badly because I also had a cold. So uh, this week, I woke up every day before 5 a.m., every day. Uh, But yeah, that's an exception. I I completely agree with you. So, uh, scheduling something for
0: uh, early in the morning and then getting up before it, it's completely fine with me. But I I want to be awake when the update happens. Yeah,
1: that's where I have a a completely opposite approach. I do it in the evening always. So, I schedule things at 11 p.m. Uh, I always do updates manually. I don't allow any kind of automatic updates to happen as much as it's possible, depending on the corporate policies. And Oftentimes I will delay the updates by weeks, uh, because um, first and foremost these updates that come out nowadays, they're not necessarily all the quality tested, you know that, I know that, so it's not much of a secret. I don't want to uh, beta test this, so I usually delay by, let's say, three, three weeks or so. And I had the same discussion with my friend that works for one of my customers that you know. He asked me, when are you going to do some updates? It's been two months. And I said, as soon as I get a, a real sense that the latest pe- raft of updates will not crash all of my virtual machines that I'm maintaining for you, which is what has been happening. Server 22, 19. Okay, but this is this is one of those things that were... Uh... No, it hap- actually, this happened last year, this year already so, with, so, Windows but, but, but you... with uh, VMware-based environments and Windows VMs. UFI machines couldn't boot anymore after updates, so this is not the first time.
0: Yes, but the thing is that uh, some of those things are, you are more or less, uh, you are going to be a beta tester, even an alpha tester. So the only way to solve this is to just uh, divide people into groups and then have a test group that you are going to push the updates to. Are we testing medicine
1: or (laughs) are we working in IT? Yes, but unfortunately, unfortunately,
0: I think that the paperwork required for medicine testing is much more strict than the working in IT.
1: Unfortunately, I think it's fortunately.
0: (laughs) I'm not completely sure, but uh, it's much easier to just uh, find a group of users that are not going to be too pissed off on you when you apply the updates, then push the updates to their computers, then wait, what is going to happen? So wait for, the, wait for the cloud to settle and then, then push the updates to everybody else. But this is one of those things when we are dealing with users. I'm just right now considering updates because for me, if something is a purposely a feature update, I couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. But if something is a security update, I want to update, update the system. And the, what Microsoft is doing is they are bundling the updates uh, together so they're saying it's a it's a update roll up. So they're bundling the uh, things that I don't want to see with the things that they want to see in into one big update that is going to take forever to update.
1: Okay, can I interject now with yes. lever number 2? Uh, you are aware of at least one of the things which I think we both found both hilarious and very disappointing about the uh, endless windows endless reboot function after update. Yes. That you saw on my HP Z420. What happened there was the it was Windows 8.1 actually that I commented on positively, uh, let's say 10, 15, 20 minutes ago. Uh, there was some kind of a let's say feature update that uh, was bundled in the call, a cumulative update or whatever they were called those days and every time that update was applied my machine would go into recovery mode then I would uh, log in I would go back to previous system restore point, I would de de the update, and then I would work with it for the next month, and then it would happen again, and we would go in this uh, endless circle. Whichever type of update that was, and there were definitely, there were security updates there present, that definitely didn't work for me. But that's actually the less annoying story than the one that I'm going to tell you now about. This is a little bit before your time. Hence the reason why, at least in our line of work, I think that you're going to find this uh, to, to be agreeable uh, in terms of what I'm about to say. So years ago, we had Intune in our company. We had Intune agent managing our our PCs. Okay? Okay. I have absolutely nothing against Intune, just so you know. So that's that's not the discussion. But the way in which it worked back then, was that A, it was automatically deployed by uh, the IT department via group policy. There was no documented procedure about removing the IT agent. Uh, You had to do it manually, hacking the registry and whatnot, which I was able to do after many, many months of trying. And as a result of this, um, uh, when your computer was connected to, let's say, the environment that was managed by Intune, you, lost even, you ha- had even less control of the reboots and updates. One of the results of that, uh, uh, back then, uh, we are talking about uh, the, the time when you were still uh, you, our graduate student. Actually you were sitting in at the course that I'm about to talk about, which was about redundancy, our graduate level course. So I was in my office, it was something like 6 or 7 p.m and I was just going through uh, the process of creating a lab for next week, which was about SQL high availability. I know that you know that document because it's a hundred pages long and it has roughly 70 screenshots, okay? Okay. So on my uh, Windows 8.1 PC, I had VMware Workstation, I had the main controller, the file server, and two SQLs uh, running on it because uh, it was a workstation machine with a lot of memory and uh, thankfully the uh, the corporate bought me SSD. So basically I was creating the text and the screenshots and the scenario and basically I did a complete description of how the lab should work and what is the expected end result. Of course, these sorts of situations, you don't just give it to the students to work on them by themselves, because never in the history of mankind is anybody going to figure that out all by himself or herself. So I uh, was uh, roughly two thirds there, your favorite yes. term. Roughly two thirds uh, of the way uh, done with the lab. And I luckily I saved the document I had autosave local on disk back then. It wasn't tied to OneDrive or whatnot. So the the, the document with the with the lab was saved, and I left the four VMs turned on. Did Windows L locked the locked the terminal on the locked the machine. Went out uh, to get myself something from the store. Came back and my machine was rebooted. And as a side effect of that, the beautiful side effect of, of that. And because the virtual machines were powered on when that happened, basically all four of my virtual machines crashed. And okay, it was partially my fault because I should have done shoulda, woulda coulda, but I should have done a snapshot on the VMs before I left and probably shut them down. But never in a million years, I thought that uh, uh, it's uh, what happened is going to happen. So I came back, my four VMs were down. Luckily, again, I had the lab document. So um, I had to redeploy the virtual machines, redeploy uh, the, the uh, domain controller, you know, join the whole s- stack of machines to domain. Then I did a snapshot and whatnot. So I wasted additional two hours of my life to do that once again. it was already 9 or 10 p.m. By the time I was ready for uh, the last third of the of the coursework, of the lab work uh, that I wanted to do and screenshot and document so that my students can have a normal experience of doing that lab. This was because of Intune and after that I was like, you are not going to live another week on my computer to Intune and I've spent the better part of that week or during working hours, off hours, whatever, trying to figure out how to destroy that stupid agent which I was, uh, at the end of the day, I was able to do. And after that, never had that problem. But it was, it is a healthy reminder that sometimes when you leave these things in the hands of whatever IT system uh, is trying to manage it, is it Intune, is it, is it uh, SCCM, is it something else, things will eventually go bad.
0: I know what your problem is. Your problem is that you are not following Microsoft's advice okay because you were working outside the working hours Microsoft strictly designed the working hours to be eight hours per day and then they can reboot whenever they want outside of those working hours
1: I'm going and to this, slap you in the yes, face but
0: but I wanted to I wanted to get this kind of reaction because this is what got me uh, raging mm-hmm. Microsoft decided you cannot schedule a reboot that is going to be stopped because mm-hmm. they want to reboot the computer mm-hmm. and you can only Uh, Say that you're going to work exactly eight hours per day and your working hours can shift but (coughs) they cannot be uh, (coughs) Non-continuous, so you cannot sit at your computer and work Because what you actually did you were working outside the working hours and then by locking it you said that you are no longer active And this is the trigger for the update. I don't care, but this is one of those things that uh, makes me mad to uh, to animation because Microsoft is dictating not only how I should apply the updates, but how should I should behave. Mm-hmm. Because if I stand away from my computer, they're going to stick behind my back and reboot it. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to me.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, wasting two hours to redeploy everything, which is again, I, I will fully admit partially my fault, was not, the, that was not the best evening. But you it know.
0: wasn't the, your fault. The problem is that the computer should be a tool. Oh, I agree. Uh, I don't see my car uh, deciding to not work during the during two hours uh, in the workday because it wants it, it needs, it, it, it needs to do something. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a tool. Yeah, that's that's cool. And
0: the other thing is that uh, your car is doing something, and your computer is doing something. This is the uh, relevant part. I want to know how this thing is going to last. Remember the updates when it says. It is only going to, it's It's. Uh, uh, just wait for a minute or wait for the updates to finish. Mm-hmm. And then it goes. It gets around, the, the little spinny thing gets around and it says, uh, I don't know, 70%, 80%, 90%. Then it reboots again. Mm-hmm. Then it starts again. And then so it reboots again? Yes. And, then, and you, then you know don't know how many reboots you're waiting for and what is the amount of time you're going to waste. Because if the if the update on the older servers, the updates could last, last hours. Mm-hmm. So I had a, I had the client when we were. Um, this is a fun story. Uh, we were at the client on a Christmas morning, because like the idea because the idea was that the client wasn't working uh, during Christmas, and this is the only downtime that they could afford. Mm-hmm. And we decided we are going to do the update because we had to do the uh, update for the hardware. Basically, Mm -hmm. we had to switch over, uh, switch some uh, SCSI controllers. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we did, we scheduled the update for seven o'clock in the Christmas morning. So completely dead time of the day. Mm -hmm. Nobody's working on Christmas morning unless they actually need
1: to. Unless it's us. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. So I had to go there. I was there with the vendor. I was there with the local IT guy. Uh, I was there with a couple of uh, management people, and we that, we went there to uh, install the uh, controller into the server. Mm-hmm. And the local ID guy said uh, that he's going to down the computer, so he's going to shut down the computer, and then we are going to uh, change the controller, and then we are going to reconfigure the server so that we can continue working. Mm-hmm. It was seven o'clock. He put uh, he clicked shutdown. He didn't pay attention, and he said shutdown and update. Mm-hmm. It took the server one hour and fifty-four minutes, uh, forty-five minutes to uh, go back up. Mm-hmm. So we were there staring at the screen. There was no idea how this is going to, how much this is going to last. Mm-hmm. The uh, bar kept creeping, creeping, creeping slowly, and then we decided that one one of us is going to is going to stand guard uh, near the server, and the rest of us is going to, are going to just waste time somewhere else. There was nowhere else to waste the time because it was Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. Nothing is working on Christmas morning. So you cannot even go for a coffee. Mm-hmm. So we were just stuck.
1: It happened to me uh, three or four times with the same company that. Uh, uh, the, fun- we the funny thing,
0: sorry to, be the, to interrupt you, but the funny thing was that the controller wasn't working. Mm-hmm. So they swapped the controller, the controller wasn't working, they swapped it again to the older one, and then we just reset and nothing changed.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember the good old days of uh, having the first generation of that IT infrastructure that I took over 10, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was, 2003, 2003, domain controller, file server, exchange, everything on it. When I did updates, uh, it was an experience to behold. Yeah, and I had more than a few experiences like that afterwards, which, yeah, it's not fun. And um, actually, more to your point, changing controllers. Here's a reason, uh, a very good one, why you want to have virtualization and not physical machines, of course.
0: It was it was way back then when yeah, the virtualization no, itself say. was something that wasn't feasible, and to be completely honest, this controller was in a machine that was supposed to be a file server, mm-hmm. so uh, it wouldn't be a vir- uh, virtualization wouldn't be viable in this particular usage case. Uh, what could be viable was uh, doing some sort of a redundant. A file server, so, with, so that you don't care if a node goes down. But this was beyond the reach of the IT there.
1: Okay, and it was obviously years ago, so maybe there wasn't a stable feature that en- that enables you to do that either way. So that will also be something that might uh, might happen. Yeah. Okay, you know the the, the 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 time that we spent uh, talking about Windows, I think it's only fair that we start. <coughs> coughing like crazy, and after that talking about the the same mess that Linux is uh, making out of itself now.
0: I think that Linux has its own set of problems, but with the updates, I think one of the biggest problems with with Linux is that it works too well. I want to point to a thing that bothers me a lot, and this is that uh, having a computer running Linux and having an uptime of multiple years mm-hmm. is completely normal. Yeah. If you don't touch it, and if the hardware is uh, more or less okay,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you are not going to have any problems,
1: mm-hmm.
0: except the security, and it's mm-hmm. going to be a big problem if it becomes a problem. Okay. But the problem is that people are not used to it. <coughs> <Top or toast. coughs> okay. And so you're going to have a big problem with security. And this is one of those things where people, because the updates are so, uh, they are easy to apply, but they sometimes they require reboot, especially Mm -hmm. the kernel update. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are avoiding updates and they grow used to having a Linux running all the time. Mm -hmm. They forget to update it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the number of machines that I have seen in my life that were running for years that were enormously out of date, sometimes by a few versions of the system and they were running, running completely correctly. Mm-hmm. So they created a lot more problems for me when I tried to update them because suddenly I realized that I'm not, do- not only going to update them, I'm going to basically completely reconfigure the entire system that is on it. Mm-hmm. For example, I was skipping post fixer, I was keeping uh, uh, PHP versions, not by one, but by two or three or four. Mm-hmm. So I basically uh, did a uh, complete reconfiguration of everything when I needed to update. Mm-hmm. So it took a lot of time to perform the update. And this happens a lot with Linux. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things, I know that they should, it should be updated. I wholeheartedly recommend, some, recommend something like Radar or uh, any other solution for Linux. If you don't have the, uh, the money to invest in uh, uh, more advanced solutions, Radar is completely okay. It's free. It's open source. It, it enables you to, f- uh, to uh, monitor compliance on your machines so that you can actually have a ballpoint figure of how many machines do you need to update and when, when the update time has come. Mm-hmm. But this is Linux. Mm-hmm. Linux, as they say, your mileage may vary. And it it may vary by a long uh, by a long uh, range.
1: So okay. Well, there's one other thing that uh, IT involved around, which is you cannot treat the servers that we are discussing and the services that we are discussing as standalone beings because they are published to internet via some kind of a concept. Yes. That's where your Fortigate and my Fortigate comes into play. Yes. But there are other mechanisms that can be used to further bolster the level of security. And this is what people are missing. You, nowadays, we are living in the, uh, in the era of everything needs to be a web application. That's what it is. And then okay. that means that it needs to be HTTPS published. How? That's the first question. Is it just a port forward via firewall? Or is there any kind of traffic inspection? Is it a port forward via firewall? Or is it a load balancer? Is there any kind of traffic inspection and how it's done? You could get away with a lot of different security threats running on your actual applications if they are situated behind a good security system as well. Which I'm not saying that that's a solution, of course it's not. But it's something that does give you a little bit of a peace of mind In terms of not having to rush to the updates as soon as they're out because in IT, in Enterprise IT, you just don't do that.
0: In Enterprise IT, you sometimes just cannot update things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to uh, put your application, however bad it is, behind a couple of apps or whatever and then uh, or proxies or however it is they're called Mm -hmm and pray that you are not going to have a security issue mm-hmm. because you
1: just cannot update the application. We have some of those as well. I have, we have one of the applications that we're running in our company, which is based around all .NET. And if I do Windows updates on, the, on that machine, I cannot afford to do Windows updates on those. Or if I do, if those are non .NET updates, usually it's okay but i still snapshot the vm before i do updates and i rarely do them maybe twice a year because it's a completely internal machine with uh, some of the with some of the things that we need but you know we just don't use it in a in a different manner which again is not the best way and um, you know Making people who make decisions about uh, software development aware of the fact and conscious about the fact that the application needs to be rewritten in some kind of a new platform and compatible with latest version of .NET or something is not easy, which in Linux terms, same thing as with page PHP. No difference whatsoever. Okay, but what you can do Although in Although PHP is a little bit more compatible version to version.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, it didn't used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the thing with PHP is specific because in Linux, what you can do is you can isolate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since people realize that PHP is going to uh, create a lot of problems for a lot of people, there are uh, proven solutions that enable you to uh, install multiple versions of PHP and then uh, specifically Mm -hmm. run an application on a particular version of PHP. So you can isolate it in a sandbox without affecting the entire system. And this Mm -hmm. is one of those things where uh, Linux excels. Mm Because what you can do, you can actually isolate the packages and you can uh, make sure that the package is not going to break.
1: Snap me, snap me, snap me.
0: Yes, this is one, one of the one of the ideas. The other idea is that you can actually have a framework that is enables you to run uh, different applications on different uh, PHP versions. And you can have a drop down menu for the programmer so the programmer can choose which version he wants to, the application to run on so that he can, he can actually test it. Mm-hmm. So he can upgrade and downgrade his own application on those web web server without your involvement, and this is one of those things where Linux is the king, mm-hmm. and this is one of the reasons why Linux is uh, in all super the other, basic, yeah. in you know, in so in all the servers. But uh, what you just uh, mentioned is one of those the other things
1: uh, uh, layered security layered basically.
0: onion security uh, onion layers of security are is some are something that always needs to be mentioned. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be uh relying on updates for windows server because nobody in their right mind is going to expose this windows server directly to the internet you you know that everybody knows that so you're going to have at and least yet
1: there are millions of them exposed to the internet
0: yes because the microsoft is quietly because they don't have a solution for it they are quietly saying you could you could just connect this this uh network adapter to the internet and the internet should be uh, uh, port uh, one port of the router or one port of the preferably IDS uh, supported uh,
1: IDS IPS firewall load balancer and all, everything in one. Yeah.
0: Yes. So something that should be able to filter the uh, traffic uh, to the to the server, but it something doesn't happen. Something sometimes people don't have uh, resources for the, for it. Although to be completely honest, even putting a, a small router like Mic- Microtik is going to do immense job of uh, of security uh, just by blocking ports.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So just by blocking uh, every tra- uh, every packet of traffic that is not um, uh, designed to pass into the internal system. So even using something simple uh, as simple as this is going to uh, do a lot of um, towards the security of the entire system. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be you should be aware of all the different things that you need to do. You should be aware of the idea of the layered security, mm-hmm. and then the, the updates don't matter so much.
1: They yeah, they definitely matter less if you approach the idea of security in a, in a good way, and if you have some IDS, IPS methodologies and whatnot, it's going to be easier, definitely. No argue there. If you have centralized logging, some kind of a system that uh, you know shifts through the logs, sends you some warnings, whatnot. There are many systems like that. You know Splunk's, SumoLogics of the world, even Microsoft has. Uh, Sentinel in Asia and many other utilities that can really be very helpful for that. Yeah, I know, it's, it's all good, I understand. That's actually where cloud methodologies can be very helpful as well, although very expensive.
0: The problem is the expense. Um, when people are choosing, uh, especially firewalls, uh, people tend to uh, stick to the free solutions because there are a lot of free solutions or I wouldn't say free, but I would say Cheap solutions on the market. Okay. So all the PF senses and all the OPN census and so on on the, uh, on the market are e- either cheap or extremely, um, either or, or the completely free. And this makes them something that people can deploy. But a lot of times people don't understand how to deploy those. And then they create their own set of problems. But this is a set of uh, topics for another,
1: uh, another episode. episode. Okay, I agree. I think we can wrap this up
0: let's wrap this thing up and say uh so no reboots
1: no reboots unless you say so no
0: feature updates
1: no feature updates whatsoever
0: and when does that leaves us
1: where right at the beginning we want to go back to the old school IT where we were uh treated as people who know what the hell they're doing instead of being treated like uh, you know, people who have no, no IT intelligence uh, while doing this job for let many, many years. Let
0: me just create a little bit of topic uh, to wrap this thing up that is going to take probably 10 minutes or so to finish. Uh, what do you think about uh, using, uh, you mentioned cloud applications. Mm-hmm. The cloud applications have this particular thing that they do and this is that they can get updated without you knowing it. Okay. What do you think about updates that are not even um, announced? So for example, you're using a web application for something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, let's not mention names. Let's say that you're using.
1: Let's say WordPress, who cares?
0: Uh, WordPress is not, not, not a good, not a good. Uh, yeah, That's why I selected it. No, 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 no. but it's, it's not a good uh, uh, example because what it does is it does what it what you want it to do. So it is going to get, uh, if you update it, it is going to look more or less the same, or it's going to break. Mm-hmm. What I'm mentioning are applications like an OVA, uh, Outlook uh, web application, that can sometimes change without you expecting it. Uh, and in this particular moment in time, you want your mail. You don't want to learn how the interface is going to look like. I um, uh, I'm thinking about when Gmail changed, when Outlook changed on the internet, when the OVA changed. When uh, Facebook changed, well, actually, so, it's
1: maybe a bad example because uh, unless you're talking about Outlook Anywhere, which is another web application that you can read email on Exchange from, that's it's a different application. It's a little bit of a different system, but it's pretty consistent. But everything else you said is correct.
0: Yes, because uh, you cannot influence the updates to a Gmail. Yeah, I know. For example, I liked Inbox of uh, the uh, Inbox uh, application for the Gmail and they completely, uh, they Bullshit. basically retired yeah. it and uh, put some of the functions into the Gmail. And I don't like the direction where the Gmail is uh, heading to okay. right now, but I have no influence over this. What do you think about those updates? Because they don't directly involve you, there's yeah. no downtime, but it they could be considered a problem because sometimes they cause you downtime because you don't know how
1: to do something. I mean, Azure portal is a perfect example of that. Which you, one of them? No, no, the Azure portal. Yes, I know what you wanted to say, but Azure portal, they sometimes just add 20 different features. You don't know where it, everything is. Yesterday, uh, and actually I work in Azure almost every day uh, I'm because you know maintenance work, but yesterday when I was doing some, um, some uh, demos for our students uh, on the graduate program, I was quite surprised to see some new information popping up at certain places where I never seen them before. But I would actually answer your question in two different ways. If you're talking about the external services like Gmail, Outlook, 365, uh, you know, Office 365, whatnot, nothing I can do about that. I can just <sighs> and go on. Uh, but that's not going to work for a lot of users because uh, the average users might get ticked off because yes. something changed and th- that should be understandable and we will have to just help them with that. It's different thing if we're talking about the applications that we provide. For example let's say that we do um, container-based applications in, in uh, uh, whatever cloud you want for the purpose of uh, let's say those are web applications that our company is running so our users are connecting to that uh, then this is a different approach because we would probably do that via some kind of orchestrated automated procedure like Kubernetes or OpenShift or Tensor or something like that and then you actually can schedule and work with the orchestrated process that would exchange the containers one by one yes okay which is uh, which is where uh, the idea of it should be going i'm not talking about everything needs to be container no but completely the opposite but the procedure that i describe is a good one you know because it enables you to both go to sleep first test does the new version work? Then go to sleep and schedule, let's say, OpenShift to do a complete, or Kubernetes to do a complete uh, uh, replacement of all of the containers that were running yesterday while doing basic maintenance
0: work. You realize that you are basically describing uh, Apache Reload. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Apache, like Apache reload, reload command, which yes. was done 20, 30, years 20, ago. 20 or 30 years ago, yeah. where you could actually tell the Apache service. To not break the connections that it currently uh, has, the yes. sessions it currently has, but to uh, use the new configuration, the new sessions that are currently being opened. Correct. So,
1: hopping, as we call it, kill Hub.
0: So basically what you, what it enabled you to do is to um, gradually introduce the new configuration without breaking the existing sessions. Of course. So people didn't realize what is going to happen, what is happening with the application server.
1: As I said, many of the things that we're using now are repackaged knowledge that we have from decades ago.
0: So let's pick this thing up, uh, let's pack as, it up. As, as knowledge and revisit this in 20 years. Uh, no. I'm Yasmin. he's Vedran. This was that IT show, and see you in the next episode. Bye bye. Bye.